Okay. Very good. Here, we'll, just, she'll speak here too. So anyway, it's good to see each and every one of you. I know a lot of you are very familiar faces and it might be that. I don't know what's speaking here, but uh, anyway, uh, I know I confessed this morning in the Sunday school class Uh, My name is Robert McDowell, and McDowell is Scottish for he who torments. So those of you that know me, could you agree with that? Dan and Lori, uh, Josh, okay, and uh, the whole tribe there, and there's others that I've tormented out there. Oh, yes, I see some right there. I got my eye on you guys back there. That's right. So uh, anyway, uh, it's good to see you guys again. Right, yes. Uh Uh-huh, right, yes. Um, I won't mention who I did that to, but uh, the last name starts with F and ends with Asia. Uh, So uh, that's a big letter, Uh, yes. I used to uh, pack groceries for Joan when she worked at the grocery store. Uh, You know, I had my 40th high school reunion uh, this year, so that puts a little bit of time there between that. So I use that money to court my wife, Cindy. I, I invested a lot in this little gal right here, and it's been a good—it's been a good return on the money. Don't want to panic anybody. So anyway, uh, thank you guys. I want to thank you as a church for supporting us. I know uh, I've had the honor of presenting God's word to you guys many, many times over many, many years. And you guys know we love you, right? Are you on to that? You're on to that. Okay, good. We appreciate that. And we thank you for your prayer support, and we thank you for your financial support, too, in the mission that we have been given the privilege of doing. I'm a missionary with the Mission in Faith. We're America's oldest home missions um, missionary group, and uh, I won't give a whole lot. You can Google all that stuff if you want to, and you can see what our history is about. I won't take a whole lot of time with that. But uh, I've had the honor of being a missionary now, uh, 33 or 35 years, something like that, within faith. And so, uh, you know, my mission's over 200 years old, and so we are the old circuit-riding preachers. So, you know, the old boys that would get on their horse and be gone for weeks or months as they did the circuit preaching at all the little churches out and about. And I'm the modern-day that. So uh, I mentioned in Sunday school, you know, I grew up on a farm. We had horses. Me and horses don't get along. So, um, you know, a horse can sense fear. Anybody that's been around a horse, they just go, "Uh uh-oh, we got a live one here. And I remember being bucked off numerous times by horses. And uh, that whinny that they do, that's laughter, actually. (laughs) That's them laughing. And uh, so anyway... Uh, we hop in our vehicle, and any given Sunday, we can be 100 miles in any one direction uh, presenting the Word of God to people. And I love leading people to Jesus. I love leading people to Jesus. Since I was a young man, even as a young teen, 12, 13 years old, uh, I had a, a heart to lead, to share the gospel with people and led people to Jesus back in junior high and high school. And currently in our ministry, well, for the last zillion years, well, 33, 35 years, 
uh, the Lord uses us to lead between 100 and 300 people a year to the Lord. And the Lord gets the glo- gives the glory for that. Uh, we praise the Lord for that. Um, here in a little bit, I'll give you. A, I'll let my wife speak a little bit for what she uh, does. But let me give you just a couple of missionary stories. Uh, first and foremost, you you know that we live in a very lost world, right? Do you also know that you live in a very lost portion of a very lost world? That um, I know you've you guys have the privilege of being in a great church that preaches the word of God. But I guarantee you, within close stone's throw of your house, there's people that live next to you that do not know Jesus as their Savior. In fact, it's the vast majority of people, the vast majority of people in America no longer know Jesus as their Savior. They might say that they do, but they don't. Uh, In fact, in our area here, about 8% are Christians. About 8% are Christians. If you don't think that, you might say, well, that's kind of harsh. That means 92% of people in our community are not Christians. Just start asking them. Just go and say, hey, I'm doing kind of a religious questionnaire. Uh, Would you mind if you just answer a few questions and ask them, do you believe in a heaven? Do you believe in a hell? And ask them this, uh, are you a Christian? And then how do you get to heaven? And it'll be very, very fascinating for you and very educational for you to do that. Uh, I have done that here in Chuila. I've gone around the streets and I almost said accosted. It wouldn't be accosted, but just went up them and said, hey, I'm doing a religious questionnaire. And in your own community here, you'll be totally blown away by the answers that you get. So uh, I'm a missionary. I love leading people to Jesus. I do it in all sorts of ways, preaching all over the place, planning churches, helping place pastors in churches, uh, et cetera, et cetera, doing vacation Bible schools, doing Bible camps. Please send your kids to camp, okay? I have the honor of being, we have a teen winter camp coming up here in about three weeks. I have the honor of being the speaker there. I know Ginger Work has uh, spoken at the women's retreats many times. In fact, Lori Christian has spoken. Maybe we've uh, hornswoggled a few rest of you here to speak there. I don't remember right now. But uh, please send your teeny boppers to camp this winter, okay? We have, uh, there will be, if you don't have them yet, there will be winter camp brochures coming your way. So quickly, I have a lot I want to say on my sermon. Let me give you just a at least one missionary story. Uh, This took place several years ago. A number of years ago, I felt led of the Lord to do a vacation Bible school. I've done like 50, 60, 70 vacation Bible schools. You go into a community, put it on, etc. And I did one at one of the local um, tribes, uh, Indian reservations. And I did everything by the book. Went, you will go to the tribe. You ask the council permission to do that. And I had permission to do that. I went around the community, knocking on doors. I says, hey, there's a vacation Bible school. We'd love to have you at the powwow grounds. <clears throat> so I assembled a team. We had like 12 or 13 people, teenagers, teenagers doing this work. Teenagers. I have seen so many teenagers lead people to the Lord. And uh, so we had a group of teenagers to help us do this, to basically do this Bible study, and or excuse me, this vacation Bible school. <clears throat> so first day of VBS, we're waiting, we're waiting, we're waiting. 
pretty soon one little Indian boy walks to our vacation Bible school. One little Indian boy. So there's 12 or 13 workers, me and another pastor. So what, there's 15 of us. One little Indian boy. So we wait a little bit. He's the only one coming. They, the group looks at me and says, should we do this? I says, this is whom the Lord has brought to us. So we did a vacation Bible school day one. And part of what we do with vacation Bible schools, we do a, a boys versus girls competition. You know, Bible, Bible trivia competition, right? Well, it's kind of hard when you only have one male. And so, uh, and this little guy was about, he was 10 years old. He was 10 years old. And so I thought, well, how are we going to do this? Well, we'll just have a boy versus boy uh, memory, uh, Bible competition. And sure enough, this little guy, little Marvin, uh, cute little dark eyes, dark hair. Uh, and so uh, the, the teenager that was up there leading it would go, okay, who walked, a, who, you know, who walked through the Dead Sea? And uh, little Marvin would go, you know, he knew nothing. So praise the Lord, the teenagers, we have a youth leadership discipleship program. The teenagers would open up their Bible, show in the Bible, little Marvin would read through there, and he would give the answer. He'd go, okay, Moses. And uh, uh, so then the next question, okay, who was in the ark when the great flood came? Marvin would go, I don't know. Of course, Marvin got five or ten points, you know, for answering the first question, right, up on the, you know, the dry erase board. And uh, sure enough, the next question, uh, and so the teenager would open up the Bible, little Marvin would sit there, read that, and go, oh, yeah, it was Noah. And we'd all clap, good job, Marvin, good job. Another ten points for Marvin. And so we had like ten or fifteen Bible questions, and we do this every day. And uh, so that was the first day. The second day, we're waiting, we're waiting. Here comes little Marvin, one cute little Indian boy walking all the way. And I could feel the spiritual warfare going on. It was palpable. So we did our vacation Bible school. We did the Bible trivia, Marvin again, all by himself, Marvin versus Marvin. And, uh, And every time those youth leadership kids would open up the Bible and say, okay, uh, and Marvin would take his time and read it, and then he would give the answer. Good job, Marvin. So we started to get some. Um, um, we started to get some pressure from other people in the community that we didn't belong there, and um, it was just so totally obvious. And uh, this was Wednesday. Usually, I would wait for Thursday to do an altar call at Vacation Bible School. And, uh, and sure enough, we're going through Bible trivia again. I'm praying. I'm going, Lord, what do you do? We're going to get run out of this place. So I told the youth kids that were running the VBS, I says, today we need to do the altar call. So whoever is, and I knew who was going to do it, I says, today you need to do this. You need to go through the plan of salvation with little Marvin. I think we're getting run out of here. And so Bible trivia, little Marvin, again, asked a question. He'd go, I don't know. Youth leadership uh, teeny bopper would open it up. Marvin would read the answer. Pretty soon Marvin said this, and I just happened to be walking by. You know, Marvin's 10 years old, little bitty 10-year-old voice. Pretty soon Marvin said these words, and the Lord allowed me to hear these. Marvin said, hey, this book has all the answers. I went, 
I'm getting Jesus bumps right now just remembering it. I thought, somebody's getting saved. I thought, oh. And sure enough, I forget who the teen was uh, that did the altar call. Little Marvin raised his hands and says, Lord, save me. Lord, save me. That was Wednesday. Isn't that exciting? And uh, Thursday we had, uh, there was, we ended up with eight the last two days. Okay. So the Lord just had us do the VBS for Marvin, little Marvin. And uh, so anyway, that's a little short story of what the Lord is doing. Isn't that great? Little Marvin's your little brother in Christ. Yes. Now my wife, and I told her if she could do it rather prudently, but uh, I took longer than I planned on doing it. So go ahead, honey buns. Hello. So one of the things I would like to praise your body for is that you reach into your community to young people especially. I mean, I know you do adults as well. And I mentioned this in Sunday school. I was the kid in the community that people took to church. So we had a fellow who drove Sunday school bus and came and picked us up, and that's how I got saved. And that's how eventually then I became a missionary. So I praise God for churches like you who take the time to invest in young people because I wouldn't have heard the gospel otherwise. So don't give that up. Uh, please don't give that up. Um, it, it changed my life. So I'm Rob's wife, obviously. We um, we were high school sweethearts, as we mentioned. I was 15. Um, the Lord placed him in my life because I needed someone who would disciple me. He placed him, my, um, him in my life because as a circuit riding preacher, sometimes he's known to use the same per, uh, sermon again and again. Guess who needs to know that over and over and over? Apparently, I'm a slow learner. <laughs> Sorry, I gave away your secret. <laughs> so um, I'm thankful the Lord has called me to be Rob's wife. And by doing that, I'm also a missionary. I I take care of the a lot of the paperwork in our ministry. Um, I like, I'm a nerd. Um, lock me up with books and pencils and paper. I'm such a happy girl. And <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. um, other things I get to do. Um, I work at a, several of the women's retreats at Coca-Cola Lake Bible camp. Uh, sometimes I get to speak for women's events and my favorite thing is I love teenagers, um, and we get to work with teens all summer, um, and again, sometimes during the school year as well. Uh, we we know some amazing teenagers that know God's word well, who are mature in their faith and desire to grow, and those are the kids that we worked with in youth leadership, so we get to come alongside and uh, disciple them. Uh, I also get to teach at teen camp sometimes, uh, teaching those young peop- uh, young ladies when they have questions about the word. And then another thing the Lord has done um, is every once in a while he'll just bring someone into my life, either a teen or an adult woman who needs discipleship. And over the last several years, I've had uh, several who have been in in abusive um, situations. So whether that uh, one was one of the girls, it was her mother who was the abuser. Uh, Others, it was a husband or a father. So, you know people like this. Um, I shared again in Sunday school. This is one statistic, and this is an older statistic, that one in four girls and one in six boys will be sexually abused before they're 18 years old. That's one kind of abuse. That's sexual abuse. That's not verbal abuse, emotional abuse, spiritual abuse, physical abuse. It is absolutely rampant in our culture. Abuse is 
horribly, horribly epidemic. So you know people. You know that this a body this size, there's probably someone in here that either is being abused or has been. I say that to you to challenge you to look for that. Allow the Lord to use you in that life. They need somebody that will walk with them. And I've had that privilege to walk with some of these women. I'm not a licensed counselor, but I've been, I I can point them to Jesus and help them to find resources. And they need somebody like you. Uh, One of the gals, uh, the Lord has allowed me um, over four years. uh, She's been in court numerous times. She was married to a man who was an ordained pastor in a ministry um, who went so south on her. It was, it's just horrible how he's, how he abused her. And uh, so We've been to court numerous times. Only once have I missed a court date with her in four years. And I say that not, you know, to pat me on the back, but because you need to know that's the kind of support they need. They just need somebody who will come alongside and love them and help them and help them to hear truth because they've been um, insidiously inundated with lies when they're in an abusive situation. So I encourage you to look for that opportunity. Yes, it's hard work. But it's amazing. Uh, we got to see this gal. Uh, she was involved in uh, getting some help through a ministry called ARMS, Abuse Recovery Ministry and Services. And she went through that twice. And this last spring, they chose her to be their keynote speaker as someone who had gone through that ministry. So someone who came from being so broken, and now she's getting to help others as well. Thank you, honey buns. <clears throat> so uh, anyway, the Lord has us doing a lot of things. We praise the Lord for that. I just want to cover one more thing before I start preaching here. Um, we've, we've alluded, my wife and I have mentioned uh, the ministry of youth leadership. Youth leadership is a, a teenage mentorship discipleship program. And, uh, and I know uh, back Numerous years ago, it actually we had one here in this church uh, back when uh, Casey and uh, them were young. Um, so uh, anyway, uh, the youth leadership is—I uh, have seen so many young people grow in the Lord so much. I've seen so many young people lead people to Christ. I know of young teenagers that have led their parents to Jesus. I know these teenagers that have grown up and now we, they're missionaries across the globe, literally, from the frozen Arctic to the deserts. And um, if you ever wondered about how can you reach your teenagers, how can you reach your teenagers, youth leadership, and I didn't invent it, uh, so I can kind of, uh, you know, ring its bell a little bit. Um, but uh, if you want to know more about it, talk to me. We can do that. There's a local one down here at Valley that meets. You can also have your teenagers be um, mail order uh, through the youth leadership. But I guarantee you won't regret that. That's a great way of doing that. It's a great way of, when I drive through Chihuahua, maybe you're like I am, my heart aches for these young people as I drive through and go, I'd like to lead these people to the Lord, these people to the Lord, these people to the Lord. And I'm doing the best I can out there, but it takes everybody else to do it too. Talk to me if you want to know more about it. Okay, preaching time. Let's pray, okay? Heavenly Father, we thank you and we praise you, Lord, for your word. 
Lord, we do. We don't take that for granted, Lord. And I know we do take that for granted, the wonderful gift of your word. Heavenly Father, we praise you for that. We praise you, Lord, for the gift of your son, Jesus. We praise you, Lord, for you, Heavenly Father. And we praise you, Lord, for your Holy Spirit, too. Heavenly Father, I pray now, Lord. Uh, Lord, I pray, I pray, I pray. You know, you've heard my prayers this week as I've prayed for this congregation and for myself here, Lord. I pray, Lord, that you will reach into everybody's heart here today and, uh, Lord, make yourself obvious to them. Would you please show up, Lord? Would you please show up in each one of our lives and touch us, touch each one of us where we need to be touched, Lord? Heavenly Father, I pray, Lord, everything that's going on out there, all all the stuff that's going on out there. Heavenly Father, I pray, Lord, help us, help us not to let that steal from what you want to show us here right now, Lord. Would you please do that, Lord? Help us just to set that aside. And Heavenly Father, I pray also, Lord, would you please help me? Lord, a tired old wore out missionary. And I pray, Lord, help me, Rob McDowell, to just step aside. And Lord, you empower me. Not for my glory, for your glory. And for your people, your dear sheep here, Lord. Lord, would you cut you are lovable? Would you cause us to love you more? Would you grow us that way, Lord? And we pray for this now, Lord, in your son's sweet name. Amen. Very good. The title of my sermon today is this. Is Jesus a savior that meets you or that let me start over again. Jesus a savior that meets you where you are at. Jesus, a savior that meets you where you are at. One of the things I love about Jesus is that he's not a God that's aloof out there. He's not a God that we cannot experience. He's a God that we can genuinely experience in the depth of our heart. He will meet you. He will meet me where you are at. I'm broken goods. I don't know if anybody else can say that about yourself. I'm, I said this once before to somebody else. I'm a hot mess. Is that weird to say that? I'm a hot mess? Isn't that supposed to be a pretty girl that says that? That she's a hot mess? I've seen that on Facebook. But anyway, I'm a mess. I'm, I'm an old man mess. How about that? Okay. And Jesus knows this about me, and he loves me and accepts me where I'm at. Did you catch that? Jesus loves me and accepts me where I am at. And maybe you're like I am as age progresses with me that I realize that I have a lot more issues than I realized I had. Anybody else that way? The older you get, you just go, how have I survived this thing? Man, I am a mess. I need more chocolate to survive this. Right, I hear an amen back there. Right, right, gotcha, Lori. And uh, which, yeah, I ate plenty of it for uh, for Christmas. Yeah, my and my mom's. Now I'm salivating. My mom's stuffing, and we take an obs- obscene amount of gravy. I mean, you, you don't ladle the gravy. You take the gravy bowl, right? <laughs> And you shake it out, and uh, about 30 seconds after you eat it, your heart is slowing down because the cholesterol is plugging you up, but it's worth it, right? <clears throat> so anyway, Jesus is the Savior that will meet you where you're at. Where are you at in life? 
Do you have worries? Do you have concerns? Do you have heartaches? Jesus is so cool. Jesus is so lovable. He will meet you right where you're at. I have a memory verse that I've been memorizing uh, last, um, probably since last spring, nine months. And, uh, okay, now, okay, Rob, go for it. 1 John 4.16. That's only half the verse. That's okay. It's only half the verse. I'm not the greatest at scripture memorization, but let me sh- let me share it. First John four sixteen. Oops, hold on, it'll come. It's that chocolate speaking right now. We have come. There we go. First John four sixteen. We have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us, for God is love. Okay, we love that. Great verse. 1 John 4.16, I recommend you have a little sticky note on your, uh, somewhere in your, in your home, on your mirror, on the refrigerator, whatever it is, and have that part of that verse. I guarantee you that verse will speak to you. Let me quote it to you again. 1 John 4.16, we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. Okay, and why is that so, so profound? Because there's many of us, maybe even all of us, that really truly struggle with the concept that God loves you. All by your little bitty self. If you were to stand there and God was to come up to you, he would be motivated by love for you and you alone. And then for each all of us too. God loves you more than you know. I mean, he sent his son to die for you. I mean, that's what Christmas is all about. He sent his son. God loves you. Interesting, that verse says this. We have come to know and to believe. Why Why to? Why? Knowledge and belief. Knowledge and belief. We have come to know. What is know? Know is head knowledge. Okay, we have come to know. We all know this, right? We know the song. Uh, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Little ones to him belong. They are weak, for he, but he is strong. Yes, Jesus loves me. So we know, we know in theory that Jesus loves us. We know it. We've heard it 18 million times. Maybe we've heard it so many times that we have taken that for granted and it's come somewhat cavalier to us. We don't have the... Um, the appreciation or the saturation of his knowledge that we should, his love that we should. For we have come to know and to believe. Okay, someone has mentioned, a pastor, I remember hearing a pastor stating this once before, that sometimes the furthest distance in the galaxy is the distance between the head and the heart. Boy, that is so true. That is so, so true. You know, just our galaxy, Milky Way galaxy, you guys know this, you've all heard this. I love standing outside at night. You guys do too when you see the heavens. Our galaxy alone is 100,000 miles, just across, 100,000 light years, excuse me, 100,000 light years across, just our galaxy. That's huge. And there's millions and millions and millions of galaxies. You know, I have a stamp. I have a stamp at home. I'm not a stamper. Some of you ladies are stampers. I'm not a stamper, but uh, I saw this stamp probably 15, 16 years ago, 
And on it is the picture of our Milky Way galaxy on this stamp. And then on one side, there's a dot with an arrow. Another, and clear on the other side is a dot with an arrow. And on this side, it says, you live here on this side of the Milky Way galaxy. Then on this side with this other dot and arrow, it says, all the really cool stuff is over here on this side of the galaxy. Hence, that's why I got that stamp. It's on my, it's at my office desk, and every time I'm writing a sermon, I see that, and I got a smile on my face. Sometimes the furthest distance in the universe is the distance between our heart and our head up here. Do you really know that God loves you? Do you know that down here? Here's a great definition for the word love. Biblical definition for the word love, if you were to flesh it out, the Greek word agape, It means this, an unconditional commitment to an imperfect person. Man, will that preach. That's what love is. That's what God's agape biblical love is. An unconditional commitment to an imperfect person. I, the Reverend Robert McDowell, am imperfect. I be imperfect. If you want to know more, chat with my wife. Okay. I forget how much memory she has in her cell phone there, like 18 gazillion gigabytes or something. Half of that is full of my faults. Not really. But anyway, here's what God's love, agape love is this, an unconditional commitment to an imperfect person. Unconditional You are imperfect no matter how hard you try to be perfect. And I am a perfectionist by nature. I am such a perfectionist. And I'm so prone to perform, not like as in theater perform, performance-based acceptance. I want acceptance, and I do that by trying to perform. You don't have to do that with Jesus. He's unconditionally committed to you no matter what you've done or what you are doing or what you will do in the future, what sin is is in there. He's unconditionally committed to you. When you drop to your knees and you said, Jesus, save me. I am a sinner. You are now his child. And he's unconditionally committed to you. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. You know, if you want to know an interesting prayer request, you know, you might you might ask yourself this question: Well, uh, how bad of a simmer simmer? How bad of a sinner am I? You know, here's a uh, Isaiah. It's, it's like sixty four six sixty six four. One of those states says, "For even our most righteous acts are as filthy rags. Even our most righteous acts." are as filthy rags. In other words, even the coolest, most godly thing that we could do. When I went down there and put on that uh, vacation Bible school for little Marvin, you know, I didn't get paid money for that. I went through a whole lot of stress for that. You know, I could have gone somewhere else that was easier. Even in that, down there ministering to the tribe, somehow in some way that still, still has some stain of sin that I put in there. Even our most righteous acts are as filthy rags. Yet Jesus is committed to us. 
unconditional commitment. Unconditional. Here's a, back to the prayer request. Here's a fun one. Are you ready for this? For you to pray? Heavenly Father, would you show me what sins I have in my life? Hmm, that's a fun one. If, if you possibly think that your life, and I know the Lord is growing you. The Lord is growing me too. And he's slowly peeling away the onion. And, but the moment we think, hey, I think we're starting to get this all together. Um, and maybe you've never even thought that, but maybe you thought, hey, we're really picking up speed. We're getting, pray that prayer. Lord, is there any sin in my life? And then just relax with the Lord and let the, you know, he's your shepherd, right? He'll be kind. He's your shepherd. He's not your beater. He's not your cosmic killjoy kind of a God. Jesus, a savior that will meet you where you're at. Let me back to the love thing before I move on from this. Unconditional, please let that soak in, okay? Unconditional commitment to an imperfect person. I am imperfect. I am so imperfect. Especially when you consider the holiness of God out here. The holiness of God. Here's the thing about love. God's love. You must accept that God, that, excuse me, that God loves you. You must, I'll state it again. You must accept that God loves you. Your spiritual health depends on it. Your spiritual health depends on it. It really does. The only way, here's another thought. The only way he, God, will ever relate to you is in love. The only way he will relate to you is in love. He's your shepherd. A shepherd can't beat the sheep. If the sheep are beaten, they get sick and they die. Another thought. If you cannot accept the truth that God loves you, you will be limited on how you can relate to him. Hmm. Last thought about the love angle here. Are you experiencing a profound sense of joy and security? Hmm, security. <clears throat> you enjoy anxiety? Ugh. Enjoy worry? Ugh. Loathe those, don't you? I do. If you're experiencing, excuse me, are you experiencing the profound sense of joy and security that comes from knowing you are dearly loved by God? Being assured of God's love for you sets you free to enjoy the numerous expressions of love he showers upon you each day. Okay. Jesus, a savior that meets you where you're at. I'm in John chapter 20 here at this point. Let me read to you. That was introduction, by the way, uh, that I did cut short for your uh, Merry Christmas. Okay, John chapter 20. Um, I love Thomas, the disciple Thomas. We affectionately call him Doubting Thomas. Yeah, I think I am Doubting Thomas. Okay, let me read to you this passage of scripture, John chapter 20, verses 24 and onward uh, through the end of that chapter there. So John's gospel chapter 20. Verses 24 and onward. Now Thomas, called Didymus, that means twin, by the way, 
Evidently, Thomas had a twin. Uh, It goes on, one of the twelve was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told them, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I, you got to hear his quote here. Listen to this quote. It comes back in a little bit. But he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hands into his side, I will not believe it. Okay. A week later, his disciples were in the house again. And Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them. Oh, that would be cool, wouldn't it? The doors are locked. All of a sudden, there's Jesus in the midst. No wonder why Jesus says right away, peace. See our shepherd? See what he does right away there? Peace be with you. Now, interesting, Jesus has the resurrected body at this point. You and I will at some day have a resurrected body. Jesus came through the wall, through the door, without opening anything. Just just came through there. Guess what I'm going to do with my resurrected body? I told you earlier I love to tease, right? So when you guys, when you we're all up in heaven and you're out somewhere, even though your door might be locked, I'm going to just slither through the wall and I'm going to have a great time. I'm going to move all the furniture in your place around, your pictures. I'm going to do all that. And then before I leave, I'm going to get me a big piece of white paper and said, Doc Lindemann was here. And then I'm getting out of there. Yes. Where is Doc? I saw him out there. Mess with the bull, get the horns. Okay, Doc? Yes. Yeah. Don't feel sorry for Doc. He's been tormenting me all morning. <clears throat> so I worked you in the sermon, Doc. <clears throat> okay. Yep. You can look forward to that. I will tease you in heaven. Okay. And we'll have a great time. I'll look forward to heaven. Maybe 2020 is the year that Jesus comes. Oh, come, Lord Jesus. Come, Lord Jesus. Yes. On to the passage here. Peace be with you, Jesus says. Then he said to Thomas, now interesting. Then he said to Thomas. Okay, now listen to this before we get to this. Jesus was not obviously present a week ago when Thomas said those words, unless I, put the, unless I see the nail marks and put in, in, in his hands and put my finger where the nails were. Jesus was not obviously there. Now listen to the quote of Jesus. Then he said to Thomas, and before I give the quote, now also notice this too. Notice, where did Jesus go? Thomas is having a crisis in his faith. Thomas is insecure. Thomas is suffering from lack of assurance. You don't have to raise your hands, but is anybody else here suffering from those things? I do. I do. Being a missionary, aren't I supposed to have my act together? 50 years being a Christian, nearly, aren't I supposed to have my act together? I still suffer with insecurities, anxieties, worries. Jesus met Thomas where he is at. Oh, hmm. This is how our Savior works. Thomas is having a major crisis in his faith. He's hurting. He's bleeding out. 
And Jesus met Thomas where Thomas is at. And notice the tone of Jesus too. Did Jesus come at Thomas railing on Thomas? Thomas, we have spent three years together. How many times do I have to tell you? No, no railing. A sweet, compassionate, tender shepherding from Jesus himself. He came. Jesus came to the hurting Thomas. Jesus will come to you and meet you where you are at too. Each and every one of you, whatever is going on in your life. Whatever is going on in your life. Jesus, I am hurting this way. Jesus, I need to sense a fresh glimpse of your presence. Jesus, would you please show yourself? His way, his how, his time, he'll do it. Okay, Jesus says these words to Thomas. Put your finger here. See my hands? Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe, Thomas. Interesting. Those are the words. That's what Thomas said a week earlier. Jesus, what we can say, Jesus hears everything that you're saying. Jesus knows everything that you're thinking. He already knows. He already knows all your secrets. He knows all that. Okay. Last couple verses there. Jesus did many other miraculous signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. Oh, don't you wait. Can't you wait to heaven when you get to Jesus and say, tell me the other stories, please. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Thank you, Jesus. Okay, good old Thomas. Good old Thomas. There we go. A little bit about who Thomas is. He's one of the Jesus' 12 disciples. We know that. He's affectionately called Doubting Thomas because obviously of his doubts in his faith. Hey, we all have doubts in our faith. He was eventually killed, martyred for his faith in either Persia or India. Thomas hears the disciples tell him, we've seen the Lord. We've seen Jesus. He's alive, Thomas. Doubting Thomas said, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hands into the side, I will not believe it. Interesting, I quoted that verse from 1 John, 1 John 4, 16, we have come to know and to believe that God loves us. This is his motivation, why he comes to you. He loves you, his unconditional commitment to you, his love of you. Did Jesus meet Thomas where he's at? Yes, a week later, Thomas and the rest of the disciples were in the room with the doors locked. Jesus comes through, stood and went to Thomas first, the hurting Thomas, and said, put your finger here, see my hands, reach out your hand, put it into my side. Thomas, stop doubting and believe. This is baggage for you. This is a burden for you. There's bondage here, Thomas. See, Thomas had some issues. He had some belief problems, and Jesus met him there. Jesus didn't rail, didn't harsh discipline Thomas. That's not who our Savior is. Jesus came to Thomas knowing it was important for Thomas to experience truth by the sense of Thomas's church. Thomas had some issues, okay? Anybody else have any trust issues? Missionary Rob does. After touching Jesus's wounds, of which Jesus still carries today, of which you and I will see these wounds in Jesus someday, Thomas makes a most profound quote. Thomas says, my Lord and my God. That will preach 10,000 sermons. 
Let's analyze Thomas's life and see what he's going through. There's five things I see. I'm only going to deal with one, okay? Number one, uh, so I'm just going to read you these five, and we'll come back to the, to the one, uh, which is actually the second one of these. Thomas is experiencing doubts. Do we experience doubts in our Christian faith? Yes, it's normal. It's part of being human. Some of us have more doubts than others, okay? <clears throat> Secondly, and here's the one I'm going to tag on pretty hard here. Thomas is experiencing insecurity. He's experiencing lack of assurance. Do we experience insecurity and lack of assurance in life? Yes. Thirdly, Thomas has experienced some form of ignorance or lack of insight. Do we experience that? Yes. Fourth, the next one, Thomas has experienced some skepticism. Do we experience skepticism? Yes. Uh, you know, for instance, Lord, why do bad things happen to me? Fifthly, Thomas is experiencing some confusion. Hey, anybody else confused in life? When did I start being confused? Probably when I was pulled out of my mother's womb. Probably about then. It's like, what is going on here? Okay, so let me deal with this one here. Thomas is experiencing insecurity, lack of assurance. Do we experience insecurity and lack of assurance in life? Yes. Let me hit you with this here first, okay? The fruit of the Spirit. This is going to help you. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. We could go on patience, kindness, long-suffering, etc. Love, joy, and peace. How's the joy in your Christian faith? And how's the peace in your Christian faith? Are you at peace? Or is there something in your heart that you're struggling with? Jesus died for you to have peace. That's what Jesus wants. That's, that's for you. Peace. That's for you. How are you doing with that? To be at peace with God. Okay, a little bit of a personal testimony for me. I have, um, up until about 10 years ago, I suffered greatly with lack of assurance of salvation. Okay, you might go, missionary, Rob, that's scandalous. You're a missionary, you're supposed to have your act together. So I got saved when I was 10, what am I now? Sneaking up on 59, so 48 years, 48 years in the Lord. And so 38 years of in the Lord, I suffered grievously with a lack of assurance of salvation. I didn't know beyond a shadow of a doubt that if I was to die, that I'd go in. I didn't have that concrete anchored um, peace in my heart that if I was to die, that I'd go to be in the presence of God. You know what that means? That I preached here in this church to you people even during those times when I was suffering from lack of assurance of salvation. I remember that when we'd go to church meetings, go to church meetings, and there somebody would, you know, an evangelist would come to town, and there would be uh, an altar call. I went to all those altar calls. Man, I was an evangelist's best friend. Okay, here we go again. Rob's going, coming forward. I just, Jesus, I need to be freed from this bondage. Interesting, I got saved when I was 10. And when I got saved, um, it was out, uh, what I did is I went out in my little sunflower patch, of which I still grow sunflowers. Many of you drive by my house, uh, of course, now they're all down for this, the winter. But I have like 150 sunflowers every year at my place. So next uh, summer, drive by and you'll appreciate out here by Jump Off Joe Lake. 
And uh, so I went out to my sunflower patch and I prayed, got on my knees in that dirty garden. I said, Jesus, I am a sinner, forgive me. And at that moment, Jesus saved me. I became a child of a God and I was on my way to heaven. Now it took about 10 minutes for me to wander back to the door. Uh, maybe not even that, maybe three minutes back to the door of my house. Right when I got to the door of that old house we used to live in, guess what? I'm 10 years old. I'm a little bitty guy. Little tap on my shoulder. You know you're not really saved, right? Oh, Satan. Leave the kids alone, Satan. He was picking on me right away. When I'm three minutes old in the Lord, three minutes old, and here comes Satan. Oh, Robbie, you know, you no, you're still not. That's not all there is to it, Rob. You know, there's got to be more to it than that. Here comes doubt and the bondage, the cruel, stinking bondage of lack of assurance of salvation. Let me make this statement. God wants you to have assurance and peace about your eternal destiny. And that with death, you can actually be excited for death. Okay? Maybe the process is not all that fun to look forward to, okay? I'm allergic to pain. I don't know about anybody else. And interesting, I was on the phone last night with a sister in the Lord. She's 80-some years old and chatting and... uh, uh, She's just coming out of that flu bug. And uh, I said, you know what? Maybe this is a year that the Lord will come for us. And so I told her, and I says, well, maybe it'll be a giant meteor strike. Maybe a huge meteor will come and just explode. It's not going to happen. But uh, she thought she was in for it. She says, yeah, let's make that happen, okay? She's excited to go visit Jesus, be with Jesus. You can genuinely be excited and have genuine, not a denial thing, not something that you're pushing off to the side, but a real legitimate God confidence that if you were to go out here in Highway 395 here in a few minutes by a semi, that you'd be in the presence of Jesus. Don't sell yourself short with this. This is part of what Jesus did when he died for you on the cross to give you this. Remember the fruit of the Spirit? Love, joy, peace. Do you know what kind of joy takes place when you know, hey, I'm on my way to heaven? Do you know what kind of peace takes place when you know, I'm on my way to heaven? I am the Lord's. Okay. So we might ask this question, if we're suffering, and in a room this size, there's people here that are suffering with that. Maybe all of us have suffered with it at some point or another. But in a room this size, there's people here that are in bondage with this. God wants to free you of that bondage. So how do we do that? How do we do that? Well, it it centers around the word of God. Centers around, remember little Marvin? Hey, this book's got all the answers to it. Centers around the word of God. A couple of things here, then we'll close this sermon out. So how do we have assurance of salvation? Number one, realize this, that salvation is a gift. Salvation is a gift. You don't earn it. Remember, it's Ephesians 2.89. For it is by grace you are saved through faith. This not by works, this not of yourself. It is a gift of God. 
lest any man boast. Salvation is, it's a gift. You don't earn it. You don't work for it. At any point that you work, if, if for salvation you worked one-tenth of 100%, it's not a gift. It then becomes a wage to one point or another. A wage to one point or another. Salvation is a gift. You, you don't earn it. You don't deserve it. It's there. Jesus paid the price. Jesus paid the price. So number one, to realize, to have a shirt of salvation is to realize that salvation, it's a gift. It's a gift. Jesus says, here, I did it. I did the work. Trust in my work. Here it is. It's a gift. Next is the concept of who is it that does the keeping? Who is it that does the keeping? Let me read to you two verses out of Jude. Two verses out of Jude. So who is it that does the keeping? If you have to do the keeping, if it relies on you to keep your salvation, we're in a world of hurt. I'm told, I'm a hot mess. You know what? Again, that prayer request, Heavenly Father, show me how I have sinned. And he'll graciously tap you on the shoulder and go, hey, you know that? That wasn't right. That was selfish. You didn't treat your wife lovingly. You didn't do this. You didn't do that. Okay, thank you. I get it, Lord. He might go on for a little bit more just to let you know in his loving way. Who does the keeping? Jude chapter 1. Jude is half-brother of Jesus, by the way. A servant of Jesus Christ and the brother of James. To those who have been called, who are loved by God the Father and kept by Jesus Christ. Who is it that does the keeping? Does it say Jesus keeps you 99.9% but you got to keep yourself the 1%? It's Jesus that does the keeping. Verse 24. Yes, verse 24. To whom is able to keep you, oh, see it again? To keep you from falling, present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, be glory, majesty, and power. Okay. It is Jesus that does the keeping. You know, it was Jesus in Genesis 1 that says, let there be the sun, the moon, and the stars. Let there be the, the entire cosmos. He's the one holding you. Okay. Also, sealing. This and another one. Sealing. Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 13 states this. Ephesians 1.13. And, and you also were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. Having believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is, this is sweet, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance. So that's the deposit guaranteeing our inheritance. The Holy Spirit, God Almighty himself, comes to live inside of you. Mm, that's a lot of security. That's a lot of security. And lastly, involves this verse here too, is the ministry or the evidence of the Holy Spirit in your life. You know, one of the things, one of the best prayers I ever prayed was this. I says, Heavenly Father, 
can you please show me the evidence of your Holy Spirit in my life? And you know, when I prayed that prayer, it didn't take long and the Holy Spirit went, you know, I covered you here. I taught you this over here. I gave you this ability over here. So if you're suffering from your lack of assurance of salvation, would you pray that prayer, please? Would you pray that prayer? Lord, show me. And he will, because he's your shepherd. He loves you. Unconditional commitment. I'm tone deaf. So I'm going to sing for you. Merry Christmas. I'm not going to sing Merry Christmas. That would be really sad. I'm going to sing part of an old hymn. A very small, I'm I'm so tone deaf. And my voice is getting tired. Let me just sing it to you here just a little bit. In closing, and I'll pray here. Grace, grace, God's grace, grace that is greater than all my sin. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this, Lord. Lord, there's people here that are doubting their eternal security. Lord, I pray, would you please come to them where they're at, Lord. Lord, please free them from that stinking bondage. Free them, Lord. Would you please do that, Lord? Heavenly Father, I also pray, Lord, if there's somebody here that has not yet trusted your son Jesus as their savior. Lord, and if they want to, I pray, Lord, in the quietness of their heart, they pray this prayer. Jesus, thank you for dying for me, for being buried and being three days later, rising from the dead. Jesus, you died for me. I am a sinner, Jesus. Save me. Save me, Jesus. Pray this in your son's sweet name. Amen. Thank you.